Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the Donut Racing Show, everybody, where we bring a dirt hill mindset to the Swiss Alps podium of Formula One racing. My name is Nolan Sight. Remember Dirt Clods? Just throwing dirt clods at each other. Oh, yes. Oh, I used to do that all the time. <laughs> my name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, my favorite auto journalists and authors of Racing with Rich Energy by the book. It's Elizabeth Blackstock and Alanis King. Hi. What's going on, guys? Oh, can you hear Portia? I What happened just now? Okay. What was that? Okay, so Portia has this thing where she gets mad. Portia's my cat. She gets mad when I talk to the light box, and the light box is the computer. And I have a piece of styrofoam that I keep because she likes to sit on it. And so now she uses the styrofoam when she gets mad, and she tears it apart. That's so funny. My cat Pop was doing that to my yoga mat this morning, and I was not pleased. It's You know what? The styrofoam is harmless, but it is loud. <laughs> I like how they pick the loudest thing in the world and decide that's what they're going to destroy while you're trying to do a noise sensitive task. My fiance's grandparents gave us this thing called a cat stage and it's like this little cardboard bowl thing and the cats have been fighting over it ever since yesterday. It's just like they just sit in it. That's all they do. And they fight. It's I don't understand. That's cats. so cute. It's very cute. Anyway. People don't want to hear about our cats right now. They want to hear about the U.S. Grand Prix. If you didn't know, the new edition of the U.S. Grand Prix is coming up really soon. But this race almost didn't exist. It's dramatic. Okay. But before we get to how this race that everybody, all your friends want to go to, I have people messaging me on Facebook asking me how to get tickets to the U.S. Grand Prix. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm going yet. (laughs) Go to Costco. Go to Costco. Go to Costco. (laughs) They're selling three-day general admission tickets at Costco's in Texas. So if you're down in Texas and you need a ticket, Costco. Go to Costco. Wow, that's going to be my answer. But before we get to the U.S. Grand Prix, we have some news to touch on. (laughs) Former Formula One boss Bernie Ecclestone has pleaded guilty to fraud. 
I was waiting for everyone's surprise action. Like you're supposed it to act surprised. Kinda, I mean, I am surprised that he <laughs> that pleaded he pleaded guilty. guilty to something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not because of what we're gonna get to. Uh, yeah, <laughs> of course. So he pleaded guilty to fraud in order to avoid jail time. That's the only reason this man's gonna plead guilty to anything. Basically, Bernie was charged with failing to declare about 500 million that he held in a trust in Singapore. And in order to avoid that jail time, he said, yeah, I did the fraud once. Just once. <laughs> if you're a newer F1 fan, you might ha- not have a ton of context about who exactly this Bernie Ecclestone gentleman is, aside from everyone referencing him and shuddering. He's been involved in F1 for ages. He actually entered two races in 1958, but he failed to qualify for them. Uh, But he did stay involved in the sport. He realized he was good at business. So he became the manager of drivers like Joachim Rint and Stuart Lewis Evans. And then he bought the Brabham F1 team in 1972. Two years later, he formed something called the Formula One Constructors Association, which basically negotiated with the FIA and served the interests of those privately owned F1 teams that were competing against manufacturer giants like Ferrari. By the end of the decade, Ecclestone took control of negotiating F1's TV rights, and he developed the system we see in action today, where there's a global recording that's then sold to broadcasters around the world, and the move made him uh, made him a lot of money. I mean, he's like a billionaire, right? Yeah. It honestly is kind of inspiring, though, you know, because they, you know, what they say is those who can't do, uh, eventually, no, buy, oh. <laughs> They eventually buy and change the entire sport for, forever. Yeah. And uh, I think it's so inspiring. And and then I think there's a third part where it's like they also dodge taxes. Yeah. Is the third part of that saying. Very inspiring. We love Bernie Ecclestone here at Donut Racing Show. Big, big fans. <laughs> well, if you don't know much about Bernie Ecclestone, the reason everyone shudders and just has a horrific reaction when we talk about him is because... This is the man who says whatever is on his mind and everything that is on his mind is very unsavory. For some reason, as he has gotten to his old age. Now, every time I Google Bernie Ecclestone, he's a year older. And somebody said this is because I Google him once a year. But I think he just gets older more quickly than other people. So let's see how old he is now. He's 92. Okay, he was 92 last time I Googled him. So this is we're working. Yeah, but Google him in like three weeks. Google him in like three weeks and he'll have changed. I believe his birthday's coming up. Oh, man, that's so... Okay, yeah, because I always Google him at the end of the year because he's always doing stuff. So anyway, the rule should be everyone ignore Bernie Ecclestone. He's gone. He no longer leads Formula he's One. He's cashed out. Yes. We don't need to hear from him. But instead, somebody's boss at all of the British tabloids goes, hey, we need some clicks. Call Bernie. And then you call Bernie and you go, hey, Bernie, how do you feel about racism? And he goes, in a lot of cases, I think black people are more racist than white people. And then everybody prints it. Yes. And then we have our yearly Bernie Ecclestone news cycle where he says something. No. And then they ask him. They ask him about it afterwards. Someone calls to do a follow up and he responds, it's not my fault. I'm white. (laughs) (laughs) This is the man. And these are direct quotes. Yes. These are direct quotes. This is the man who when people showed up to, I think it was the British Grand Prix in blackface in regards to Lewis Hamilton. He was just like, "Eh, Lewis is being sensitive. And everybody was like, 
okay, buddy. All righty. All righty. Yeah. And the guy sucks. <laughs> but he also uh, loves dodging taxes. So how did he end up in court over fraud anyway? Well, essentially, during a previous trial, Bernie Ecclestone claimed that he had established a single trust for his daughters. And when prosecutors asked him if they had links to any further trusts, quote, in or outside the UK, Ecclestone said no. Except he most definitely did have a trust in Singapore that contained about $500 million. That's half a bill, baby. Prosecutor Richard Wright KC said Ecclestone, quote, knew his answer may have been untrue or misleading, but, quote, did not know the truth of the position. So was not able to give an answer to the question. Mr. Ecclestone recognizes it was wrong to answer the questions he did because it ran the risk that HMRC would not continue to investigate his affairs. He now accepts that some tax is due in relation to these matters. Can you imagine if like we got treated by like Bernie Ecclestone, if I got in any tax trouble ever, I every year I do my best to do my taxes with my stupid little tax calculators because of how the American government works and the lobbying of tax places. I know, I'm a sucker. I, I pay TurboTax every year. Oh, TurboTax. Yeah, you pay the them money. to go lobby the government so that they can keep I doing know. TurboTax. Um, anyway. I know, but so convenient. Every year we try <laughs> so hard to get our taxes right. And if we're wrong, they, like it's over for us. And yet Bernie gets to go to trial and go, I mean, listen, maybe you're right. <laughs> it's just like, okay, awesome. I but, wish. If you thought that's wild, just just the whole thing, the whole situation has been just madness, absolute madness. At an earlier hearing, Ecclestone's lawyer unsuccessfully argued, based on evidence from a cardiologist, that he shouldn't have to face trial because the stress could kill him since he's almost 93 years old. And when that didn't work... She also argued that the timing of the charges were bad because just a week before, Ecclestone had said that he would, quote, take a bullet for Vladimir Putin, who Ecclestone also described as, quote, a first class person. Oh, my God. The thought here being (laughs) Ecclestone wouldn't get a fair trial because uh, people didn't like those remarks. They didn't like it. Why not? (laughs) This goes back to... Stop calling Bernie Ecclestone and asking how he feels about things like this is, again, the guy who was like, yeah, Hitler, he was a good leader. And you're like, what? Stop asking. I guarantee you it's just some editor at the sun. Right. That's like, oh, let's call up my chap Bernie and see what he's got to say about this. Right. Like it's all I just (laughs) this is terrible. So when Ecclestone pleaded guilty, his lawyer said, and I quote, it was not Mr. Ecclestone's intention to avoid paying tax. He has always been willing to pay the tax that was due. hundred percent. I believe that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his lawyer said he spoke incorrectly in court because he had, and I quote, an impulsive lapse of judgment, which I think happens to him all the time, uh, <laughs> all the time for many, many years. Now, get this. The lawyer said the lapse in judgment was due to his frail health and the trial's immense stress to Ecclestone and those who love him. What about the Hitler quotes from like 2009? I mean, we just forget about those things. It doesn't matter. These things never happened. As you might have gathered from his comments about Putin, Ecclestone is prone to saying deeply inappropriate things as Alanis laid out. Uh, Like Alanis said, he praised Adolf Hitler as a man who was, quote, 
able to get things done. Horrific. He said that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. He said that women don't want responsibility and that female F1 drivers won't be taken seriously. And then he also said that, quote, women should be dressed in white like all other domestic appliances. As we mentioned before, he also said that black people are more racist than white folks. Can you imagine if he was still in charge of F1, like post Drive oh to God. Survive rise? No, what, like he what wouldn't would have even let Drive to Survive happen. No, he wouldn't have. But let's just in a perfect world, they chained him up for three years. OK, they, they handcuffed him to a bathroom stall and did Drive to Survive. And then he comes back and he's in charge of F1 and he says this stuff and all of the new fans Google him. What happens? Do people stop watching F1? That's a good uh, question. I don't hmm. like maybe, but like probably mostly because Bernie would also say stuff about like how Americans all suck. And oh, he <laughs> like, famously called all, all of North America a shithole one time when he was talking about I think he was talking about the U.S. Grand Prix. He he was like, North America is a shithole. And it's like, OK, well, you know, <laughs> I, th I mean, there's also a lot of companies with really terrible people at the helm that people also love because they're unfamiliar with the leadership. Right. So I don't know if he affects the problem F1's is popularity. that Bernie makes it Bernie makes you listen. Like, yes, it always hits the the freaking headlines. And like maybe the you know, the owner of some Bitcoin or whatever is like sketch, but we don't hear about him because he keeps his money to himself and his mouth quiet. But Bernie just loves to say things. He loves he the just loves to talk. He really does. All press is good press for Bernie. Uh, and that's just how it is when you when you have a net worth of two point nine billion dollars. Oh, my goodness. So this fraud charge has no real bearing on Formula One, because like we said, Bernie Ecclestone is not in charge of the sport anymore. Hallelujah. Oh, However, because of his longtime influence, his name is still regularly associated with the series. So this alleged fraud also took place while he was in charge. More than anything, it's a reminder that motorsport tends to attract folks with a lot of money. And a lot of times that money is sketchy. I mean, OK, look, he's 93 What's Bernie Ecclestone's life like in jail? Is like, would he be in jail jail or would he be in Monaco jail? Like, is this man getting like a five clat five star meal delivered to him from Michelin star? He'd be chefs? in like uh, Geneva's highest security prison, which is just like a, a field full of daisies or whatever. Yes. And like, it's one of those places where you can actually leave jail. but you have to come back to sleep there. <laughs> um, and, you know, his commissary account is very full. He can afford all the top ramen he wants in the yard. <laughs> I bet he'd have such a good racket like swapping cigarettes for stuff. Oh, he oh, <laughs> he would actually love that. He would love that. Like the British tabloids would call him and he would be like, "I've gone back to my roots." Yeah. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm playing cards for cigarettes and you'd be like, "Great. <laughs> we need more blue-collar criminals in Formula 1." You know? Yeah, they can't afford a ticket to the three-day race weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of these white-collar criminals. I want a Dom Toretto of Formula One. Dom where... Toretto would have to break into Formula One because he would not pay the ticket price. Maybe. But, like, you know, a guy, he's a guy, he, like, hit a guy in the head with a wrench because he crashed That's his father Ford at a race. That's Ford versus Ferrari. 
<laughs> no, that, that's is that? Wait, do you remember the wrench scene? I want a guy yeah. who hits a guy with the with the wrench in Formula One instead of this old guy who has billions of dollars. Anyway, America, according to Bernie, is a shithole. So let's talk about the shithole Grand Prix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Back in the day, the U.S. Grand Prix almost died. But which time? (laughs) That one time, all of the times. Oh, that one time. Okay, yeah, that clears it up. So the motorsport landscape has changed dramatically in like the last decade here in America. Uh, I remember going back to my my first F1 race ever was 2014, the U.S. Grand Prix. Uh, I was there with a friend. We like had the track to ourselves for practice. Yeah, the crowds were so small that F1 offered autograph sessions all weekend long. And literally, yeah, all you needed to do was just get there early and get a wristband. Try that now. Uh, Someone would be like Charles Leclerc would have to sign someone's body pillow or something. (laughs) Yeah, that's why it can't Uh, happen these days. Yeah, and Coda even at that time used to sell season passes for all of its events. Oh, wow. So for under $300, you would have general admission tickets to F1, the World Endurance Championship, IMSA, and MotoGP, among all of the other smaller and regional events that would happen at the track. Wow. Been a little bit different than what we see now where the sports profile has grown and the tickets are hugely expensive and they sell out almost immediately. And also, I believe pre-sale for 2024's U.S. Grand Prix is happening like this week. It's just nuts. Uh, But back then, things were different back before COVID. And in 2015, the U.S. Grand Prix at Circuit of the Americas almost died. Ooh, I remember that year. It was rough. If you listen to our podcast called The Long Road to Bringing F1 to America, you'll know the sports history here has been shaky at best. F1's been trying to break into the American market for decades, and the public opinion of the series was at a serious low point during that period when F1 left Indianapolis Motor Speedway and before it started construction on Circuit of the Americas. Coda remains the only purpose-built F1 track in the United States. But this history, as you'll learn in that episode, if you haven't listened to it, if you're going to go listen to it, rough. The tracks would fall apart. The The tires would fall apart. Everything was horrible. And F1 just had to give up a bunch of different times. So here we are. We're in this period after the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix where the tires didn't work. Very few cars started the race. 
all of the fans were like, this is horrible. We can't believe you did this. And they left and they never came back. So we're in a little break period, right? We're about to have mm-hmm. Circuit of the Americas. The opening of this track outside of Austin, Texas, was posed to be a promising return to the U.S. Like this was a big deal, right? We were like, we're getting this huge purpose belt F1 track, the the grade one track, all that with all the runoff and it's got the stars and stripes. We're good. But there were a lot of hurdles to clear before the event could be considered anything akin to popular. A lot of things went wrong for the U.S. Grand Prix in 2015. When the schedule came out that year, there was a pretty big surprise. Mexico City had returned as a host venue, and its Grand Prix would immediately follow the U.S. Grand Prix. Prior to that year, tons of Mexican fans would flock to Coda since it was the closest race for most folks in the country. Obviously, the introduction of a race that didn't require anyone to leave the country meant a lot of Mexican fans passed on the U.S. Grand Prix, and as a result, ticket sales weren't quite as impressive as expected. Uh, Austin and Mexico City, fairly close together in terms of the F1 calendar, mm-hmm. geographically yeah. speaking. Not, not massively close, but, it, you know, close enough, close enough. I don't know my geography. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Uh, then we had the race weekend itself, where Central Texas was racked by storms that were kicked up as a result of a hurricane. Friday was damp, but Saturday was a legitimate washout. The track, first of all, requested that fans not travel to the circuit due to intense flooding. It kept its gates closed during free practice three in the morning. But because fans had already started to turn up at the circuit before the stay home order was issued, Coda had to open the gates to the people who showed up. And it had to let everyone take shelter in the main grandstand because there was lightning. And if you know Coda, there's literally like nowhere that is covered aside from the main grandstand. Oh, I just I can vividly remember walking through the garage and in the garage at Coda between hospitality, team hospitality and the actual garage. There's this strip of just road that you walk on that everyone walks on. And in the middle of that strip, it dips. Right. Because it's it's a drainage thing. So it's like it curves downward and it dips in the middle. And I can remember it wasn't draining fast enough. So you were walking through just inches of standing water going through this area and i just remember everyone wading through it like i'm thinking back i'm thinking of all like the team principals everyone wading through it bernie ecclestone like everybody just basically swimming so it was it was it was rough it was not a good time I had my own little single person apartment in Austin and I showed up as a fan that year with three friends, one of whom came all the way over from England because I kept talking about how great the U.S. Grand Prix is oh, at no. such a wonderful, beautiful time of the year. And it's always nice weather. So we stayed uh, at my apartment and we watched FP3 um, and then... We were like, yeah, we're just not going to go to the track. And then about halfway through FP3, I was like, what the f- are we doing? Everyone get your rain gear on. We're going to the track. <laughs> so we got an Uber out to the track, got to the main gate where we walked in and then had to like hike around the rest of the circuit in order to get to the main grandstand because they didn't want us just standing out in the field. And I remember I put my phone in a sandwich bag, zipped it up and then periscoped. <laughs> The walk where it was raining sideways and oh, we were like sloshing through ankle deep mud, 
like oh it was so bad and literally just to turn up and walk up to the grandstand and sit there (laughs) for hours if you know coda if you've been to coda you know that the most famous viewing point is turn one and turn one is divided into grandstands and grass because all of coda basically when you walk from place to place you're either walking on dirt or grass and so just imagine being ankle deep in the dirt and mud and grass it was horrific and then they're having like the concerts and the super stage all of that is grass it's disgusting so rather than just cancel the on-track action f1 kept postponing qualifying by an hour they were like yeah we'll do it later when that hour would get close to expiring f1 would postpone qualifying again over and over all day long So to keep everybody entertained, the drivers and teams and everybody came out and they played football and they made paper boats and they did little dances and everything, which is honestly fun. I love that kind of thing during rain delays, but this was not a normal rain delay. This was horrific. It's a hurricane delay. It was a hurricane delay. (laughs) Qualifying ultimately took place early on race day, but for the people who showed up to watch Lewis Hamilton take the 2015 World Championship, The event itself was a misery. It was cold and damp, and the grassy general admission areas had been transformed into layers of thick mud. Nobody could sit on the grass, and a lot of folks just took spills when they lost their footing. This sounds so shitty. It was was so bad. bad. I was in turn one. We showed up early. We got there super early, staked our claim on the best seats, and then just had to stand there for like eight hours watching human like i didn't even go to the bathroom i didn't drink a single thing of water i was like i'm not moving because if i move i'm just gonna fall i'm gonna slip Mm -hmm. and i don't want to have mud all the way up my side i'm good and to make things even worse coda closed tons of its parking lots because most of them are just grass fields and on friday cars were already getting stuck so the fans who had paid for parking were told to take a shuttle bus instead But because suddenly the track has a huge influx of people taking shuttles, they hadn't gotten as many shuttles as they would have needed. After the race, all of those damp, muddy, angry fans had the pleasure of standing in line for hours as they waited for a spot on the shuttle. I I remember this. I I was not in line, but I remember you being in line. You know what I did while I stood in line for probably like four hours after the race? I downloaded Tinder, set my, my... my location to the one mile radius and found Pierre Gasly lying about his age. Oh, I remember this. I remember this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He said he was 21 and he wasn't. He was 19 because I was 19. And and which way did you did you swipe, Elizabeth? Uh, He didn't swipe. I I, I tried to swipe. I swiped right. He did not match with me, Mm -hmm. but I get it. It was fair. Damn. Can you imagine that happening today? Like with so many hundreds of thousands of people, those F1 drivers would not be on Tinder. No, no. You know what? I wonder if they still are. If you're at the U.S. Grand Prix this weekend, set it to a one mile radius, shrink your radius and let me know. I would be uh, I mean, Tinder F1 driver on Tinder would be very surprising. But, you know, they've they've probably got like Raya or there's probably like some other app that like we don't even know about yet. You know, Mm -hmm. that for some reason, our our merch uh, designer, Andy Brand, is on. Uh, (laughs) 
already. <laughs> oh, some of my coworkers um, were on Raya, and they said we just found Lewis Hamilton on Raya, and I was like, "Oh, interesting." And you can't take screenshots on Raya, so they took good. they took a photo with someone else's phone and sent it to me. <laughs> and I, I mentioned this: Lewis Hamilton's job on Raya is astronaut. Ah. <laughs> So cringe. Come on, dude. Ah, Lewis. Lewis. Come on, buddy. Come on, man. Oh, Lewis. You have the coolest job. You don't have to make it up. So here in 2015, obviously, race day attendance fell. Uh, It was estimated by Forbes to have fallen by over 6,000 people, and the three-day attendance had fallen by over 13,000 compared to the year before. Talking to the Austin American Statesman newspaper, CODA chairman Bobby Epstein said the weekend was financially devastating. So not only did people fail to turn up on Saturday, but many just avoided the track completely on Sunday. And for the folks who did turn up, no one was really keen on buying like cold beer when the temperatures were already miserable. So according to Epstein, the track, quote, suffered from some fans having such a bad experience, they won't be back. I actually remember because we were in college in Austin at the time, me and Elizabeth, and I remember people telling me, oh, yeah, I had tickets to go to the F1 race this weekend that I just like got through work or connections or something. And they were like, yeah, we're not going to that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. (laughs) And it was just like, oh, man, can you imagine today having free tickets to an F1 race and not, not going, going. Just not going, <laughs> not going. And I also oh, I vividly yes. remember that year. The Thursday was overcast, but dry mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. just ominous. Do you remember this, Elizabeth? I wasn't there on the Thursday because I wasn't media. Um, but I do remember like that was when they had a bunch of like off track stuff. And my friends and I would had gone and it was just so like gross outside mm-hmm. Like, we were going to go to a cart track mm-hmm. uh, that was outdoors, and we ended up going to an indoor one because it was, like, it kind of looks like it's about to rain, and also, like, the atmospheric pressure was so high. Mm-hmm. It was awful. It was just foreshadowing. It was rough. So, mm-hmm. soon after all of this just awfulness at the race... Coda's then president and chief executive Jason Dial stepped down. Then the Texas government began to question whether or not it wanted to continue paying hosting fees for the race. As we've talked about before, Formula One requires tracks to pay them for the pleasure of hosting a Grand Prix. So Coda's 400 million construction was privately financed, but the track relied on government funding to help cover the F1 host fee. In 2003, the Texas state government developed a fund designed to attract major events. For example, if the NFL wanted to have the Super Bowl in Texas, the state would have money to help facilitate that event. That same government fund agreed to pay up to $25 million a year when Coda first signed with F1. But in 2015, things got sticky like that mud in the parking lot. The payments were previously made from the sales tax revenue created directly by the event, but because fewer fans showed up for the race in 2015 than normal, and because state control had shifted to a new regime under Governor Greg Abbott, Texas calculated its payments differently. Unfortunately, so did F1, and at the time, F1 increased hosting fees by about 10% each year, which meant that in 2016, F1's hosting fee would be closer to $33 million than $25 million. The problem was that the Texas government was only willing to pay $19.5 million. 
So obviously F1 was not exactly stoked about the prospect of losing money, and Bobby Epstein, who ended up taking over at CODA, even acknowledged that a change in state funding would mean the event was screwed. After all, really the only way to make back the money that had been lost was to increase ticket prices, but you don't really want to do that after so many fans had been turned off by the whole fiasco, and it was so likely that fewer fans would turn up in 2016 that if it cost more to be there, that like it was it was going to be a hot mess. Uh, if Coda did not pay the fee, it could be sued by F1. It could lose its F1 race. Without that landmark race, it was likely the track would simply fold, even though the hosting other events was actually profitable uh, because no other series charges like F1. It was still like, each, you know, can a World Endurance Championship race really sustain this? The answer was no. Not enough people care about endurance racing. Your tagline is, we're an F1 track. That's how you get people to come yeah, to exactly. other events. We're an F1 track, so come watch you, other You go events. to see NASCAR on the F1 track. Yes, exactly. Right? You go to see IndyCar on the F1 track. You don't just, you know. So when there's a funding discrepancy like this, mm-hmm. is there a rule in F1 that the track can't bring in like a title sponsor for that race? Or they probably already have big title sponsors like Heineken, right? But yeah, say there they will be can like, bring in the title sponsor, but that doesn't I don't believe that actually covers the hosting fee because it, that fee comes from the track itself. Mm-hmm. F1 is usually the one that brings in the that title has, sponsors. Okay. For the so events. you can't be like the Texas beef. It's what's for dinner and uh, Smith and Wesson Grand Prix at Texas. <laughs> Honestly, no, I, the beef. It's what's for dinner. U.S. Grand Prix. That would just be the bad That'd boy so mowers, funny. U.S. Grand Prix. <laughs> oh the big-ass fans. The big-ass fans, <laughs> U.S. Grand Prix. I mean, there are so many opportunities here that F1 is not taking. But by mid-November of 2015, both Bernie Ecclestone and Bobby Epstein admitted that the future of the race was in doubt. Bobby Epstein specifically said, yeah, we're screwed. <laughs> that was literally <laughs> what he said. In December, the USGP at CODA was marked as subject to agreement on the prospective 2016 F1 calendar. Picture this. It had an asterisk next to it. <laughs> like It's never a good sign. In January of 2016, funds for the upcoming race that year were still a subject of debate. Everybody was going back and forth. And Bernie Ecclestone said CODA had not yet paid for the 2015 race. That is not great. I have a, uh, a fun little anecdote about this. Oh, no. Um, so in November, when it became very clear that like the U.S. Grand Prix might not happen, there was this little hashtag that went around that was hashtag save CODA. Um, and I was in a government class at the time. One of our projects was that we had to create a petition and have people sign the petition. And I was like you know what, I'm just going to petition the Texas government to give the money to Dakota <laughs> to host the F1 race. So I put this little petition out there. Suddenly it's getting tens of thousands of signatures. Oh, wow. Like, I send this over to my teachers and I was like, hey, just so you know, like, uh, my petition is doing really well. And also the local <laughs> news wants to interview me, a 19 year old with no experience at anything whatsoever to talk about why I like this race so much. And then uh, it was one of those massive classes. I was just 
streamed live for everyone to watch. So they invited me into the studio and I got to like talk about how my successful petition like came to be. Uh, it was so funny. Uh, so many people like thought it was legitimately serious. And I was like, no, I was just doing it for a grade. Uh, and it blew up. That's sick. <laughs> Well, it wasn't until March of 2016 that Epstein could finally confirm the 2016 U.S. Grand Prix was going to happen. And at that point, it was clear that circuit management had totally revamped the idea of what a race weekend could be. Ticket prices dropped from $169 to $150. What a savings. Mm, uh, $19, and, dude. And Taylor Swift was scheduled to play on Saturday night, among other concerts, and fans could buy tickets for the show if they really wanted to. Uh, it's probably a lot easier, maybe not a lot easier, but somewhat easier to get those T Swift tickets back then. Oh, so much easier! Like, it, dude, yeah. if a track mm -hmm. if you a track could... wants to save themselves these days, book Taylor. Mm -hmm. I don't think they can afford it. Probably not. But <laughs> who I charges mean, more for a hosting fee, F one or Taylor? Taylor Swift. Swift. Ooh, the Eras Tour brought in like what two billion dollars or something like that. God. Crazy. It's insane. Absolutely crazy. So many, so many dollar. I actually specifically remember, so every time I go to the U.S. Grand Prix and I'm in the media center, I wait for that perfect period of time in between the race people leaving and the concert people coming that there's no traffic. And I just watch the traffic oh. for a couple of hours, right? Because I don't want to sit in it mm -hmm. because I have a firm belief that I don't want to waste gas. If I'm sitting in traffic, I will turn off the car and just sit there without air conditioning good, good or anything. Yes, the Taylor Swift year specifically wasn't as wasn't as bad as it is now, but that year the people didn't show up for the race. And then when it came concert time, it was red for miles on my app, my maps app to come into the red. track. Yes, yeah, right? And then leaving the track, all the traffic was cleared. It was gone. And there everybody was coming in. And I remember leaving the track and just passing lines of people coming in to see Taylor Swift. And as a result, at the conclusion of that 2016 weekend, Alanis with Taylor Swift, the track set a new attendance record of 269,889 people. Those are rookie numbers. Yeah, as yeah. we'll see. Yes. So that that 2016 event was actually a really big turning point for Coda. So I was someone who regularly just attended fans at that track. I was someone who attended races as a fan at that track for like everything. I was a season ticket holder. Uh, and 2016 kind of felt like the year that Coda grew up. It went from being just like a Grand Prix to this like comprehensive entertainment extravaganza. So you had tons of activations on the side of the track. You had concerts, not just Taylor Swift, but you had little stages all around uh, the venue where there were people playing. There was gourmet food brought in from like local restaurants. Uh, and it was there's so much that was going on to bolster the on-track product that it kind of felt like a top-level motorsports experience in the way that you just don't get at something like a standard NASCAR or IndyCar race. And that's kind of what you need, especially if, you know, at the time it was the only F1 race in America. You really want that to become a shining star. And they did a great job at that point of really taking the event to the next level. With the exception of 2020, when the USGP was canceled as a result of COVID-19, the race had just continued to grow. In 2022, more than 440,000 people turned up for the three-day event total. 
And this year, the goal is to hit the half a million mark thanks to construction of new grandstands and the massive popularity of the sport. I still haven't decided if I'm going to the race yet. And half a million? (laughs) I don't know that I want to. (laughs) You can be part of history, Alanis. You know, Nolan, I have been to so many U.S. Grand Prix. That I'm Grand tired of Prix. living through historic events. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, tired fair. of living through historic events. <laughs> double it and pass it to the next person. Um, <laughs> literally double it. Um, but the increase in profile has come with an increase in cost. Back in 2016, you could go see Taylor Swift and go to the track for as little as $150. Now, that same three-day general admission ticket will cost you $475. If you can get it before it sells out. I have mixed feelings on going to an event I've been to so many times that just in concept is that high price and also feels kind of Coachella-like, you know? I think people should go to things and enjoy things and have the time of their lives. But also, that's a lot of people to deal with when those people Mm -hmm. are probably not going to be back in like three years. Because like some of it is new fans. Some of it is just Mm -hmm. people going, Mm -hmm. oh, people like F1 now. I'm going to go just so I can say that I went, which is great. And you should do that. I just don't really want to deal with the traffic. (laughs) It's still the cheapest race in America as well. Yeah. And it's this is the accessible one. And it's like. Yeah, go experience it. It's a great thing. But I just don't know that I want to just like bump shoulders with people all weekend just because they just. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, and. I'll is it go. easier to get in and out of the track now or is there, no, you still have to no. wait? No, no, it's no, it's two. It's two lanes. One going oh one God. way and one going the other way. I can't believe they haven't fixed that yet. It's awful. It's so bad. Honestly, yes, last year after qualifying, we sat in the parking lot for over an hour before we even got out of the parking lot to get into the traffic. That was then another hour of sitting in traffic. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. It was bad news bears. <laughs> I I will go if someone invites me, gives me a pass, and gives me a shuttle to ride. <laughs> but... I mean, I've just been so many times that it's like, what am I going to see that's going to be different? You know, Max is going to win by 20 seconds and I'm going to sit in traffic for five hours each way to watch it. I you don't know. Things can be different this year. With me and cover the F1 Academy because you got your credentials approved three days ago and it is now too late to get interviews with any of the drivers. Oh, you see, oh. Elizabeth, I every single year I miss the, the window to apply for F1 oh, credentials. Oh, that's right. You're telling me about that. Because the problem is, is that, you know, like you August have to think to, about it like two months in advance. Yes. August to September is one of those weird times where it's not quite fall yet, but it's also not really like spring anymore. And to me, F1 is a fall race, but credentials close on September 15th every year. And Elizabeth has a calendar reminder and I don't. And because it is September 16th and it's not fall yet. I have not applied for F1 credentials. And I was like, what am I going to say on my F1 credential application this year? I've been to this 20 times. I'm going to do it again. You know, <laughs> like I just don't really have the creative. I don't. I, I just not this year. 
I had that dog in me. I applied. I'm I did going. not have I'm that dog in me. I did not. If y'all are there, <laughs> let me know. I will come out and see you because obviously I don't have anything scheduled other than maybe we had a award interview. I love that. <laughs> we had the best time last year. We had a book signing for the Rich mm-hmm. Energy book and a bunch of people came and talked to us and hung out and it was so much fun. We like yes. we had a really, really good time. And I had actually forgotten that I had such a good time doing that. And now I'm like, well, dang, should I, I go? I, I don't know. I'll go if somebody calls me and says I have free tickets. That's when I'll go. So to wrap up this whole thing, obviously, it's super great to see F1 growing in America. I remember in 2021 when the Grand Prix came back and I like walked outside on Friday and the stands were full and the general admission was full in a way I had never seen it, not even on race day. And like I got teary. I cried a little bit. I love my track. But (laughs) those higher price tags are not sustainable. I like to tell people that uh, if I was still a fan, I wouldn't be able to afford going to this race. Uh, I certainly cannot afford to stay in Austin. I'm staying with my mama in New Braunfels and will be driving an hour to the track every day. Um, When the shiny veneer of this post drive to survive popularity wave dies down and there are a lot of signs that it already has. It'll be critical for the races in America to reevaluate what it actually means to host a race based on the ever-evolving audience demographics, and F1 does tend to be a little slow when it comes to figuring out that kind of evolution. Oh, yeah. It is always reactive, not proactive. Mm -hmm. Let's get T-Swift to the track. That'll bring people in every year. (laughs) That's what I say. They'll just keep coming. Yep. (sighs) All right. You know what time it is. It's time for Boyfriend of the Week. It's our weekly segment where we acknowledge who's the best. Uh, No race this week. Um, So we're going to have to get a little creative with it. And I'll lead us off. My boyfriend of the week is Volvo. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) the car maker. Uh, Volvo lent us a V60 recharge Polestar engineered wagon. It's a hybrid. I drove it up to my parents this weekend. Lovely, lovely car. I shot a little video on it. Cute. Which I'll be editing Ooh. this week. And maybe you'll follow me at Nolan J. Sykes on Instagram. And uh, hopefully you'll see it this week. I got to figure out how to do editing. Cute. So Volvo, boyfriend of the week. Nice. Elizabeth, who's your boyfriend of the week? My boyfriend of the week is the IMSA team, Gradient Racing. I was at Petit Le this past weekend. So I've been trying to do something with them for a couple months now, and it just has constantly fallen through until Petit Le Mans, which is a 10-hour endurance race. Uh, they were fantastic. They were so kind. They let me eat all of their food and hang out and be in their way. Uh, I spent all eight and a half functional hours with them. And uh, then the car died and it was really sad, Uh, but everyone was very, very sweet. They were some of the nicest people. Um, They gave me so much good interview content. Like sometimes you go to a racetrack and everything everyone says is boring and awful. Uh Not in this case. (laughs) Uh, It was interesting and there's so much stuff that I'm so excited to write. And it was a very uh, soul sustaining weekend. In the motorsport world, sometimes I feel very uh, out of place and get a little jaded, but this was a good one. So thank you, Gradient Racing. I love you. You're my boyfriend of the week. And shout out to my best buddy, Bozy Tatarovich and Vassar Sullivan for winning a championship. That's, That's exciting. That's right. That Lexus team. Good for them. Good for them. Um, my boyfriend of the week is gas station sandwiches. Um, I've been thinking about <laughs> gas station sandwiches. <laughs> 
every day. <laughs> Wait, what? what? Okay. <laughs> I have been thinking about gas station sandwiches every single day. And I finally had a gas station sandwich this weekend. And just like you um, get them out of the fridge and they're cold and the cheese is a little wet and it's yeah, perfect. Why is the cheese always slimy? Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. And I just been craving it and I had one and I was like, man. That's what, a gas, gas station, station sandwich. What gas station? Is it like a Bucky's? All of them. Because a Bucky's sandwich, I need a Bucky's no, sandwich. No, 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 not the good sandwiches. The ones in the plastic in the fridge the ones, uh, that are triangularly cut. I just got like, it's got the willies. If you're in Texas this weekend for the U.S. Grand Prix, don't just go to any old gas station. Find a Bucky's, yes, go to any a old gas station, and no, get a Bucci's and get a a club melt sandwich. They're so good. And get a get a bag of those nuggets they got too. I forget the what they're beaver called. Beaver nugs. Beaver nuggets. Mm-hmm. People who people who don't speak English as their first language. I don't even get Bucky's. If I looked at Bucky's, I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. But because English is a horrible language with horrible pronunciation, if it's not yeah. people's first language, they say boosies. And you, <laughs> I, okay, I love the videos on TikTok where it's like, I'm here at bussies. No, literally. literally you see it all the time and it's bussies. And, like, and like, I get it. I get it. English is an awful language, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I, bussies, like, that's why I, that's why I call it bucheesies. Roman Groshan <laughs> is one of those people who, Roman used to drive for the Haas F1 team. He says oh, Boosies. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go to Boosies? And you're like, what is a Boosies? And That's it's a amazing. Bucky's. And you're like, oh, oh I hope oh. he's learned. Probably not. Probably not. His favorite um, chain restaurant in America is Cracker Barrel. And I went to Cracker Barrel last night and I thought about Roman That's Grosjean. Sweet. And I was just like, Cracker Barrel is not what I was expecting from you. Not at all. I was expecting like the Grand Lux Cafe or something like that. But good for you. Um, Anyway, thank you for listening to the Donut Racing Show. We'll be back next week to talk about the U.S. Grand Prix. Stay tuned to see if I end up going. Probably not. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe and tell all your friends to tune into the Donut Racing Show. If you want to leave us a five-star and kindly worded review, it really helps us out. We also have an email address. Please get in touch. Here's one we got recently. Hi, I've been listening to the Donut Racing Show since the first episode. I love the format this year of adding podcasts on off-race weeks. Me too. It's been a great addition to my drives. I've noticed over the course of the last three track walks, a sentence or two has been added about which tickets and seats you should buy if you plan on attending that Grand Prix. In Canada, you said it was worth paying for a grandstand so you didn't have to run for a place to stand. In Austria, you said it wasn't necessary and general admission was fine as you could sit on the side of a mountain and watch. And in Silverstone, you said to get the grandstand because otherwise you wouldn't be able to see. I just want to say how much I've appreciated this addition. As a fan who plans on attending some of these Grand Prix in the future, this knowledge is beneficial when planning the trip. Of course, I would do my own research beforehand, but hearing personal recommendations from you based on your experiences has been something I've thoroughly enjoyed. Please keep sharing your personal experiences with the fans. Which seats should we buy? Is the food worth it? Which Grand Prix are the best to attend? Keep up the great work. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you, Ashley. 
I have the, I've unfortunately covered all of my bases <laughs> with all of my recommendations. <laughs> well, so at Coda, there's apparently some famous drink called the Coda Sunrise. And I went to the bar and I said, can I have a so- Coda Sunrise? And they said, what's the Coda Sunrise? And I was like, I don't know. Aren't you supposed I don't, to know? I don't think they do it anymore. It used to be a tequila sunrise that would come in a commemorative glass and I would buy them yeah, every time I went to those. the track. So I have like a full drinking set of commemorative Coda glasses for my Coda sunsets oh. that I paid like $20 for so I could take the cup home. Yeah, see, I paid 25 and I got a plastic cup. What if they had a drink called the AMF1? Oh, that's cute. So a- that's cute. It's a sunrise mm. and it's like... Mm. No, no. Because well, AM... I don't even know what a sun... AM. No, no, no. I thought you were doing like an Aston Martin. This is Martin adios. AM. Adios. Is that a drink? Oh. Is that a drink? Is, is that like Everclear? It's, it's everything. It's everything. What? All it's in like one jungle glass. juice. So it's like Everclear. Yeah. Everclear I thought was like its own deal. Well, no, no, no. No, no. no. This is like tequila, vodka, everything. Uh, blue Curacao. Basically, we're trying, it, it varies. To, we're trying to keep people alive. Are you trying them. to die? We're going to have so many people in the medical center at that race. I'm trying to see what that safety car looks like. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Have an AMF1 and take off all your clothes and run onto the racetrack. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not familiar with Donut Media, we have a YouTube channel as well as an automotive history show called Pass Gas. Number one automotive podcast in the world. Check it out. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Follow DRS on Twitter at Donut Racing Show and email us at Donut Racing Show at DonutMedia.com. Follow Alanis at Alanis N. King on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Liz at Eliz underscore Blackstock on Twitter and Eliza Blackstock on IG. And follow me at Nolan J. Sykes on Instagram or Blue Sky or whatever you're on. I'm, I might be there. And I'm, if, I'm not, if I'm not, then I'm not. So there you go. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We'll see you next week. Bye. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.